This morning, I want to continue uh, in our series, Summer in the Spirit, but in a way, this message uh, is kind of a, a hinge where I'm going to begin to uh, uh, finish out, I'm finishing out what I'm talking about, spirit baptism, and I'm going to begin to move in, in weeks to come into a, a broader understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are different gift lists in the New Testament, and I'm going to look at those different gift lists, and we're going to get into an understanding of them, but without really a solid understanding of spirit baptism and what I would consider to be the gateway gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, then uh, we're going we're gonna to be a little bit lost. And so that's why I'm spending so much time on this. I want to tell you this last week, some, some people in the church received the baptism of the Holy Spirit praying and seeking God, and there's, there's just been some movement in that area, and God is faithful on that. And, and really, before I get into the text, um, and I would, just as we're worshiping, this passage came to me, and it's the passage in the Gospels, it actually occurs in a couple places, where uh, in the week that, uh, that, what we call Passion Week, the, the week that ultimately Jesus suffered and gave his life for us, uh, he went into the temple, and there's kind of a series of dialogues and exchanges that he has with different groups that are trying to take him down, quite frankly. They're setting traps for him. And there's one group, the Sadducees, that uh, normally he didn't have that much to do with them because they, they only concentrated their power in Jerusalem, and Jesus was usually out in the countryside, and he was among the synagogues, and those synagogues are controlled by the Pharisees. And so you have a lot of exchanges throughout the Gospels between Jesus and the Pharisees, not that many between Jesus and the Sadducees because he only spent a fraction of his time in Jerusalem where the Sadducees had their base of power at the temple. But at this time, he was in Jerusalem and the Sadducees were there and the Sadducees tried to set some pitfall for him and of course they failed miserably uh, as, as all of them did. But Jesus' response was this to their, they set kind of a hypothetical situation to try to trap him. And he said, are you not in error because you are ignorant of both the scriptures and the power of God? Are you not in error because you are ignorant of both the scriptures and the power of God? So he, he pinned the Sadducees with two errors. They were weak in their understanding of the scriptures. They knew all about running the temple and all these, all these liturgical rules that had to do with the way Judaism functioned at the time and animal sacrifice and so forth. But they were actually ignorant of the scriptures. Uh, and the other thing is they were ignorant of the power of God. Now I think about this today. And I think about different churches and different kinds of churches. And uh, I've, as some of you know, I've got kind of a broad background. I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I was trained by Baptists, and I'm a Pentecostal. So, I mean, I've got kind of a, kind of a uh, uh, Heinz 57 going on on that. Um, but there are churches that are strong in the Scriptures but they're weak in the manifestation of the power of God. They can be real strong in their theology. They got the best seminaries. They got the best uh, Bible professors. Their, their pastors are just Johnny on the spot with their understanding of the scriptures. They, 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 they write a lot of material. A lot of the textbooks that I used as a professor were written by those people or those kinds of people. Very strong in the scriptures, but when it comes to the manifestation of the power of God, they get, their palms get sweaty, and they don't, they, don't, they don't really understand some basics of the Spirit. And then, then, on the other hand, you have churches that are strong in the manifestation of the Spirit. You can get people who are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but they're ignorant of basic things in the Scripture, right? And so, a lot of times, the, the, the power of the Spirit, their capacity for the Spirit uh, is strong up to a point, and then they reach the end of their tether because they become ignorant. And sadly, at the beginning of the Pentecostal outpouring, a little over 100 years ago, the first Pentecostals, this is what a lot of people don't understand, the first Pentecostals were actually very well educated. They were, they were very educated, but 
there was such a backlash against Pentecost among mainline denominations that it became kind of a badge of honor to say, well, I didn't go to seminary. I wasn't trained by anybody. I, I just been trained by the Holy Ghost. And it was kind of hard to argue with it when people are getting healed and all these miracles are going on. So it became kind of a, there's kind of a, kind of a split that happened. But I want to tell you that isn't God's will. Jesus himself indicates by pinning the Sadducees, he said, I want you to be knowledgeable in both the scriptures and the power of God. You want to be both. So if you want to know what my tack is on this, why I'm preaching on this, and why I'm stepping through these different things so carefully, it's because I want you to be strong, and I want you to be able to flow, and I want us as a church for there to be foundational understanding of the scriptures and the power of God. The scriptures are the are the source that help us understand the power of God. And the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that fills us and works miracles and wonders in our midst. And so I'm, I'm trying to explain that to you. And I want, the, I want you to ponder that. I want you to ponder in your own heart. Scriptures, power of God, both. I want both, right? We're a, we serve a both and God. Amen? Amen? All right, now, I want, to, I want us to turn, or I'm going to quote, just one verse from the little book of Jude, right? The book of Jude is a one-chapter uh, book. It's right before the book of Revelation, so it's the second to the last book in the New Testament. The book of Jude was actually written by uh, the brother of the Lord Jesus, right, his half-brother. And this verse, in, in uh, verse 20, it says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. You building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one of these phrases that you want to say, what does he mean by praying in the Holy Spirit? Isn't anybody who prays in the name of Jesus praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, we're praying by the power of of the Spirit. We're praying in, in accord with the Holy Spirit when we pray in the name of Jesus. But praying in the Spirit is a phrase that occurs a couple times. A couple different people use it in the New Testament. And it's pretty clear from the context that we have that praying in the Spirit for the early church meant praying in tongues. That's what praying in, in the Spirit meant to them. The other person who references it is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, and there the context is very clear. He says, I'll pray in the Spirit, I'll pray in the understanding. I'll sing in the Spirit, I'll sing in the understanding. And when he says, pray in the Spirit, it's clear that that context is talking about speaking in tongues. And so here you have this verse, this little book, uh, the book of Jude, and he tells us, Pray in the Holy Spirit and build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Now, the thing about this that is understood in that verse is he's giving that directive, that exhortation to everybody. He's given it to everybody. It's for everybody. And so this kind of, it kind of uh, causes people, hmm, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? As a matter of fact, even the version that I use, uh, the ESV, as I mentioned on Wednesday night, every version to one extent or another is actually an interpretation. It's not just a translation, but it's impossible to translate without interpreting some. And in that verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, it says uh, in the ESV that I use, I will pray with my spirit, I will pray with my understanding. I will I will sing with my spirit, I will sing with my mind, and so forth. The problem is the word my is not in the text, is not in the Greek. That's an interpret. It's what, that's what we uh, Bible gurus call a gloss. That's where you're laying something on top of the text because you don't understand it any other way. So the, the translators of the ESV, all godly people, no question, but they couldn't understand that verse from their perspective, so they put the word my in there. But the word my is not in there. It's not in the Greek. It simply says, I will pray, literally, I will pray by the Spirit. I will pray by my understanding or by my, by my thinking. And so praying in the Spirit, and the, the rest of the context is flat out clear what he means. He's talking about speaking in tongues. So here you get this thing, 
okay, speaking by implication, hey, this is, this is for everybody. Jude isn't saying, hey, you, you out there who speak in tongues, you ought to pray in the Holy Spirit and build yourselves up this way. He just says, yeah, I'll do it. Y'all do it. So there seems to be an assumption on his part that squares, incidentally, with Acts chapter 2, where it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Seems to be the norm in the early church that everybody had this gift and everybody flowed in this gift. Now, I want to direct you to the next scripture so that I can grapple with a dilemma that a lot of people today deal with and that we can work toward resolving it. This verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30. This is at the end of a gift list, and the Apostle Paul begins to ask questions. I've put verse 30 up on the screen, but I'm going to begin reading here from verse 29. It says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Here's verse 30. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The obvious answer to these rhetorical questions is no. That's the obvious answer. The obvious answer is not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all work miracles, and along with this, not all speak in tongues. And so you say, well, what gives? Is this a contradiction in the scripture? How do we resolve this? How do we resolve, and we're going to even read other scriptures shortly here, where it sure seems like the apostles, that first generation of, of church leaders, some of them even relatives of the Lord Jesus himself, seem to indicate that everybody ought to have this gift and everybody ought to exercise this gift. But on the other hand, Paul, right in the middle of these core chapters that talk about the gifts of the Spirit, which is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, he seems to indicate not, not everybody has this gift. So what, how do we resolve this? So now today, this message is really more uh, teaching. There's sometimes I more preach and there's sometimes I teach and a lot of times I sort of preach, right? But this is, this is more of a, this is more really, I'm trying to explain something to you from the word because it needs to be, it needs to be explained, right? So you don't have to take out your notebooks and your pencils. There's not going to be a test. But if I sound a little bit more like a teacher today, it's because it, it, it needs to be done to, ha- to understand this, that the scriptures are not contradicting themselves. The way to resolve this is to understand a general truth about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And that general truth is this. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, is not writing a handbook. He is not writing what we would call a systematic theology or a book of doctrine that just explains and lays things out. These are the rules for how to flow in these gifts. This is a, this is a mistake that people on both sides of the debate fall into. They think that's what it's about. That's not what it's about. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying that there isn't teaching and truth and sort of gold to be extracted about the gifts of the Spirit. In weeks to come, we're going to be using these passages. We're going to be looking at them. But I want to explain something to you about this book and about other books for that matter. Not all books, and now we're talking about Paul, not all books written by Paul, letters written by Paul, are exactly the same. There are books like Romans or Ephesians that I would call a one-way street. They're just a letter that Paul writes. He explains himself. He talks about doctrines and truths, and he's just kind of sending it to these people. 1 Corinthians is part of a larger correspondence that Paul has. Has anybody ever listened to somebody on the telephone You're in the room, I should say, has anybody ever not done that, right? You're in the room, you're listening to somebody, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your child, and you jump to conclusions based on what they say, right? They say something and you're like, how, they hang up and you're like, what gives, and you're like, well, you didn't hear what the other person was saying. How many know what I'm talking about, right? That's what 1 Corinthians is. 1 Corinthians is a back and forth. Paul tells us in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians that he had already written him a letter. And then at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, now about the matters you wrote me about. 
right? So there's letters that he's written, there's letters that they've written, and it's a back and forth. In 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, Paul is troubleshooting issues with worship. And there are three issues that he covers. Number one, dress code for the ladies according to the culture of that time. Everybody say, according to the culture of that time. And all the sisters said, all right. So dress code according to the culture of that time, number one. Number two, the Lord's Supper. And number three, gifts of the Holy Spirit. The longest discussion is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only one. There's three different aspects. And all of these aspects, he's having to hammer a certain thing, and that is that the Corinthians were very egotistical. They were very self-centered. They wanted to do everything from their perspective. So you had, you had women who were kind of free agent, and Paul says no free agency. You had people celebrating the Lord's Supper, that were free agent? Can you imagine celebrating the Lord's Supper? And, and, th- and that day, it was just, it was like a meal they had around the table, you know? And over here, Jared is eating lobster thermidor, right? And, uh, and Jay is over here, and he's eating oyster crackers. And, uh, and he says, I didn't have anything else. Jared, could you share some of your, hey, get your own, man. I got, you know. I'm going to eat my, that's literally what they were, maybe not lobster, but they were doing that. Okay, so he's trying to get them to settle down and say, look, these are community things. It's the same thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So to understand this passage that I'm about to read and really the whole text, you have to understand Paul is troubleshooting an issue with them. And that issue was they had genuine gifts, but they were exercising those gifts the wrong way. He wanted them to focus when they came together on gifts that edified the whole body. So there are gifts that are private manifestation gifts, and there are gifts that are public manifestation gifts. Public manifestation gifts are meant to be ministered publicly. Private manifestation gifts are meant to be ministered privately. So so Paul is troubleshooting. That's what he's doing. But it doesn't mean we can't get truth. We have to kind of read between the lines to understand what he's doing. So with that sort of preamble, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 5. He says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's a gem right there. Has anybody ever been just fascinated with the spiritual gifts and you're just drawn to them and you know what you know where that comes from that's the holy spirit because it's the mind of the holy spirit that you should desire the spiritual gifts a lot of people think oh no i could uh, that's poor little me that's oh I, i couldn't do that that's a desire that's of the lord it's a command that we should stir up that desire right pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, so now I'm going to repeat once again what I just said before I read this. This passage was written to a group of people who had gotten things upside down. They thought that speaking in tongues was just, oh, this is a spiritual manifestation, so we're just all going to come together and we're all just going to let loose speaking in tongues. So we had people who were visiting who didn't understand the first thing about Jesus and the gospel, and later Paul describes, he goes, they're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're nuts. Why? Because you're practicing a gift that's for private edification publicly. There are gifts for that, is what he said. You know the old, the old adage today in the age of the smartphone. There's an app for that. There's a gift for that. There's a gift for public edification. In the context of this church, we have had 
prophecies in the, in the public worship. We have had uh, messages in tongues with interpretation. Those are words that are meant for public edification. So what Paul is saying is, uh, let, me, let me phrase it this way. What he is not saying is, we're going to put one gift against each other, like the gifts are in competition with each other. No. No. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, assuming a context of public worship, a gift for public edification is the fitting gift. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing of saying, okay, well, um, if people are discouraged and downcast and, and, and there's, there's been crisis in their life and there's crisis in the church, is that a time for a gift of healing? No, that's a time for a prophetic word to encourage everybody. But if everybody feel, is feeling good, they're in good spirits, but they need healing in their body, is that a time for a gift of edification? No, that's a time for a gift of healing. Is everybody following me? So you need a gift to fit the need. And that's what he's talking about here. But as he says this, we can glean important things of what he's saying about the gift of tongues. The first thing that we can discern from this, reading between the lines, is there are two manifestations of the gift of tongues. There are two manifestations. The terms I'm going to use are not in the scriptures, but the concepts behind them definitely are. There would be what we would call prophetic tongues, and there would be what we would call devotional tongues. Prophetic tongues is what I just described. That's when somebody gives a message in tongues, and it is then interpreted for the edification of the body. That's the equivalent of a prophetic word. Now, a prophetic word doesn't necessarily mean telling the future. It just means putting, putting its finger on what people are going through. How many times I've been in a congregation and a prophetic word or message in tongues and interpretation amounts to the same thing has come forth and I thought, man, the Holy Spirit was absolutely speaking just to me. How many ever felt that? There's a prophetic word and you're like, yow, that was for me. And the person next to you is going, wow, that was just for me. Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit quickening that word to whatever is going on in your life. That is prophetic tongues. And then there is the uh, manifestation of what we would call devotional tongues. Devotional tongues is what Paul describes here. This is somebody who's praying in the Spirit and they're edifying themselves. The manifestation of the gift is not for general edification, it's for private edification. Now, some people might argue there's actually three types of tongues because there's that, that um, manifestation of tongues that you get on the day of Pentecost where people are speaking in tongues and other people are understanding it. Okay, I personally think that that is a, an aspect to both prophetic or can be an aspect to both prophetic tongues and devotional tongues I've, because I've heard of cases uh, of both. Right, I've heard of cases where a prophecy was giving. Right, I think I told it in the church where my, my pastor, uh, who was uh, uh, he was in seminary, he was pastoring his first church. He had a friend who was trying to date uh, date a gal, and she wouldn't go on a date with him. She was a nurse; she wouldn't go on a date with him. So finally, he said, "Well, come to my church." It's crazy. We jump the pews, we we roll in the aisles, we swing from the chandeliers. It's a it's a show. I mean, you'll love it. And she's like, I, I won't go to a movie with you, but that sounds fun. You know, so she goes, she goes to church, and uh, it was a normal church service. And at the end, on one side, a lady stood up and gave a message in tongues. And then somebody else gave the interpretation, and the service closed. And the, and the gal turned to the guy and said, this is a normal church service. This isn't anything special. It's just like my church. She goes, but, but I want to know, where did that woman over there learn Polish? He said, learn Polish? What are you talking about? Yeah, she... I grew up with my grandmother, and she's Polish, and she, I grew up speaking Polish. And she got up and talked about the Lord and how we need to serve the Lord in Polish. And then that other lady got up and basically said what she had just said in Polish, but she said it in English. So what, what's with that? That's an example. That's where tongues acts as a sign. That's a sign gift. But that's an aspect of it. I, I also told a story where there's a man 
who was, had to flee Liberia and West Africa, came over to our church, was sitting on the front pew, and it was wondering, what am I going to do my family? We're, we, we're, we're exiles. We're, we're refugees. We don't have anything. And there's a man just, just a few paces away from him who was just praying in the Spirit. That man just thought he was just praying in the Spirit. Just worship was going on praying in the Spirit. But he was speaking that man's exact tribal dialect and said, I brought you here. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. So these are, these are the, that's kind of a sign thing. So I, I think that applies to both of these gifts. But you have these, you have prophetic tongues that are meant for general uh, blessing. And then you have, then you have uh, devotional tongues that are private. Now here's the thing. When it comes, and I'm going to repeat this later, when it comes to self-edification, God is no respecter of persons. I'm going to say that again. When it comes to self-edification, God does not play favorites. There's no mystery. Okay? When it comes to ministering to others, God is sovereignly mysterious. Okay? Okay, so, so there are people that... Uh, are going to be given certain gifts. This is outflow. This goes to others. People are just going to have certain gifts, and you're going to be like, God, how come he got that gift? Who's she to get that gift? And They're flowing and blessing and everything else, and, and you're like, but God's like, yeah, but I've given you other gifts, and you're going to flow in these gifts. I've, I've seen deacons. When I first moved here to Washington, I uh, went and did, your church was between pastors, uh, and they needed, a, they needed a preacher for a couple Sundays, and I preached uh, two or three Sundays. It was up in uh, Bellingham, Washington, all the way up there, and there was a, there was a, they, were, they didn't have a pastor, right? They were, they were in a pastoral search, and I was professor at, at NU, and I, was, I went and preached for him, and I, I talked to this deacon, and this deacon, who is their lead, he was the most spiritual, he was unbelievable. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God was speaking to him about the future of the church. He was just spot on, sensitive as a tack. But God had not called him to pastor. He knew he wasn't a pastor. He knew that he was a deacon, and that's what God had called him to. And he was godly, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, tender-hearted toward the Lord, weeping in the best way not weird, just really balanced and powerful for the future of the church and how the church would impact the community. And I've met pastors that visited on mission trip teams that told coarse jokes. They told dirty jokes. If you're a pastor telling a dirty joke to a missionary, you got issues. <laughs> but you know what? The call of God is actually on him. Now, he might not be living up to him, but he's called. I've seen, I've seen God lay a man low, died young, because he, he, he knew he was called to be a pastor. Everybody prophesied that he was called to be a pastor, and he wouldn't obey the call to be a pastor, and God laid him low. So it's mysterious when it comes to God using people to touch other people. Not all are apostles. Not all are prophets. Not all speak in tongues. Meaning not everybody has the gift of prophetic tongues to give a message in the congregation. That's what 1 Corinthians 12.30 means. And all of that list there in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, uh, basically verses 28 through 30, it's all talking about outflow gifts. Right, So you've got to understand there are two manifestations of this gift. One is internal, one is external. It's the external one that not everybody has. But the internal one, that is, is a, that's a horse of a different feather, as some people are wont to say. Right? That's a different situation. All right, so the second point that I want to make here is devotional tongues are for speaking to God alone. That's what they're for. That's the nature of the gift. It says, it says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. 
That's by design. One of the greatest errors that I've heard people say, a lot of my Baptist friends, whom I love dearly and have been close to and have helped me, commonly make this mistake. They say, well, wow. I mean, tongues would be for today if it were like on the day of Pentecost where everybody understands what they're saying, right? That was, in other words, if it's functioning as a sign gift, that's fine. But they're stuck in Acts chapter 2. How many know we sit under the whole counsel of God? Amen? The whole counsel of God. Here the Apostle Paul is describing a gift, and he's saying this is how it is supposed to function. It is supposed to function in a way that the person, when they speak, they are by definition not talking to other people. By definition, they're talking to God. How many want to talk to God? Glory to God. All right, I'm going to repeat it again. Why would God give me a means to talk to him that he doesn't give to somebody else? Right? That's just not my God. Now, he says he utters mysteries by the Spirit. He utters mysteries by the Spirit. Now, this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. I had a pastor, same pastor I just talked about, Pastor Bob, back in Kentucky. He was raised in a Pentecostal church. His dad probably planted 50 Assembly of God churches in southern Indiana and, and uh, central Kentucky. And uh, he grew up around Pentecost speaking in tongues. But he was like, why should I speak in tongues? It don't make a lick of sense. Why should I, why should I do it? I don't understand the point of it. it why, what, why should I speak in a language that I myself do not understand? Right? I'm going to tell you. And obviously he got his breakthrough, but I'm going to explain it to you. And I'll explain it to you starting with your own experience. Have you ever been in prayer? You're going through a hard time. You're going through a crisis. You don't know what to do. You don't even know how to pray. How many don't have been in that place? You don't even know how to pray. And by the time you got done praying, you felt worse than before you started. Anybody? Why? Because you go to the Lord without an answer, but you're doing all the talking. And what you're doing is you're saying, God, my transmission just broke. The roof is leaking. And the baby's got the croup. All these bills are are piling up. Work is thin. And Christmas is coming. And then rinse and repeat. I mean, you, keep, you, you repeat that all these different ways, and by the time you're done, you're thoroughly discouraged. Right? You're not any closer to an answer. Your prayer hasn't really glorified God. You've just explained all your worries to the Lord and all your needs to the Lord, which he already knew anyway. Right? Here's, here's what speaking in tongues does. This is, from, this is from Romans chapter 8. It says, The Spirit of God intercedes for us in groans that words can't express. In other words, our situation surpasses our own capacity to articulate. That, that's a big phrase right there. Our situation surpasses our ability to express. And the Spirit of God, I've prayed prayers that I I practically regretted once I prayed them because they were so filled with doubt. They were so filled with my trouble. Sometimes I've had prayers I prayed that were filled with gossip. You can gossip to the Lord, you know. And it's just... You're bad-mouthing other people. You're bad-mouthing yourself in your prayers. God gave this gift as a prayer language that is pure faith. It's pure hope. It it absolutely articulates through the voice of the Spirit. But you know, here's the thing. It's very important to say. The Spirit of God doesn't speak in tongues. The Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. We speak in tongues as the Spirit gives us the power. 
So as you pray in the Spirit, you build yourself up in the most holy faith. You just build yourself up. So that by the time you get done praying about your most severe difficulties, you're built up instead of torn down. There was a case where some... Some missionaries were praying. This was years ago. My goodness, this was many years ago. Colombia, the country of Colombia, just north of, of our beloved Ecuador, was closed to missionaries, and people couldn't get in there. Matter of fact, Colombia, uh, we were trained as missionaries uh, in, in, in Spanish in, in the country of Costa Rica, but the first country that all the missions, these different missions, Southern Baptist Assembly, got all these different missions, they banded together and decided to put together a language school, their country was going to be Colombia. Colombia was going to, because it had the nature of the Spanish that spoke in there, was kind of a universal Spanish. They said, this is the place to go. But they had to, they had to change it, and it became Costa Rica, and now Costa Rica is kind of the country for Spanish language because of this crisis. And these, these missionaries were praying. They were seeking God. And, and they, were, they were gringos, right? They didn't speak Spanish, but they were praying. But there was a Spanish speaker in the circle, and they're praying, and one of these, one of these men who was praying broke into fluent Spanish. He didn't speak Spanish. He, he broke into fluent Spanish. And what he prayed was, God, have mercy on this country. Pour out your Holy Spirit on this country. Work this, that, and the other thing. In the, and he was praying very powerfully about the country and about the situation. Now, language school training went someplace else, but missionaries got into Colombia. <laughs> Because they prayed, they prayed a prayer that was perfectly in tune with the will of God. You can't know what to pray. Even when you know what to pray, you don't know what to pray. Right? And this is a gift that builds up and edifies. The, the power is in the mystery. That's a, that's a point, that's a plus, not a minus. That there's something mysterious that you're surpassing the limitations of your own mind. I can remember when I was first first got really serious with the Lord. It was before I had received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I would pray in my dorm room. I would go out in a hallway, uh, in a stairway in my dorm in college, and I would pray there. And I, I was fervent and I was intense. But, but after 10 or 15 minutes, I'd have a crushing headache. Because the power, your brain, your mind cannot bear up under the weight of the burden of the intercession that God is requiring of you. God wants to do great things through you. You need his power to do it. Amen? You need his power to do it. And that is, again, that is a blessing that God's not going to say, hey, I'm just going to give this to you. This is the third point. Tongues is for self-edification. Tongues is for, I remember years ago I was talking to a guy and I was talking to him about this gift. And I said, tongues is to build you up. He said, why? Well, I just, you know, that's selfish. I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't justify that. Hogwash. Uh, hogwash is a theological term that I learned in my doctoral studies. <laughs> Tongues is for self-edification. Look, the number one thing God wants you to do is build yourself up in the most holy faith. It's selfish for you to go around broken down, weak, woe is me, and everything else. Because what's going to happen is you're going to end up leaning on somebody else, and you're going to be what we call in, in Spanish a chupa sangre. You're going to be a bloodsucker. You're going to be somebody who's pulling strength from somebody else because everybody's got to survive. Look, God wants you overflowing with his power. He wants you built up. He wants you, your feet hit the floor in the morning. He wants you blessing God, filled with the Holy Spirit, praying, seeking him, glorifying him, honoring him. He wants you praying. He wants you seeking God. And everybody you touch, you're a blessing to. You can flow out. Because you, if you, if you ain't got it, you can't give it. You got to be built up in the Holy Spirit of God. Later on, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's the Apostle Paul. You wonder, where was the source of power? The Spirit of God was the source of power. God wants us praying in the Spirit. I tell you, driving down the road, I'm praying in the Spirit. Singing, singing in church, some of these songs we're singing, I'm just, I'm just singing in the Spirit. God wants us built up. 
It's a gift to build ourselves up. Now, here's, here's, here's what I want to drive home. This goes back to Jude, right? What does he say? Pray in the Holy Spirit, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. They knew, the early church knew that this gift was a live wire. They knew it was for power. And I want to tell you, there are people who receive this gift, Pentecostals. They've received the gift, and then they sit on it. This goes back to some of the first sermons I preach in this series, where people took this early Pentecostals, one of the errors of the early Pentecostals, for all their blessing, one of their errors was they took it as a sign gift that I've been sanctified. Hallelujah, I've arrived. They took it, I, I got it in the altar, I tarried, I got it in the altar, now I'm done, I've arrived. Well, guess what? They find out they're just as carnal as anybody else, right? And God gave them the gift not because they're spiritual, but because they're not spiritual Amen. on their own. And, and he wants us to be spiritual, right? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the Bible. How many know the Bible is for self-edification? How many know that this is what for, right? Coming to church is for self-edification, right? Reading the Bible, praying is for, is for building ourselves up in the Holy Spirit. How many have ever been edified and blessed reading the Psalms? You're going through a hard time, you read some of the Psalms, and you just feel better, right? You just feel better. All right. Um, Pastor Brian, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play God. How many are glad I'm not God? Okay. All right, but I'm going to play God for a second. Pastor Brian, um, I'm giving Jill uh, the entire Bible. Uh, I'm giving you the Bible, but not the book of Psalms. It's just for both of them. You're going to Germany, so I might as well say something. It's just forbidden. You don't get Psalms. You get the whole thing. And Michaela, you get the whole thing, but not Romans. Sorry. God just works in mysterious ways. It's just the way he is. He just, he's going to give some people some things and some people. Other. See, doesn't that sound silly? It sounds silly because it is silly. Right? When it comes to a gift, this is where, this goes back to Peter with Cornelius. Cornelius. Peter walked in, he said, I know now that God is no respecter of persons. When it comes to gifts that have to do with you drawing close to God, God's not going to favor me. God doesn't love me more than he loves you. He's not going to expect uh, uh, the same out of you while giving me more. Are you following what I'm saying? This is, this is why I'm deeply convinced in my spirit that this gift is available to whosoever will. That's why I'm convinced. If you, I mean, in the way I'm kind of explaining myself. Anybody who wants this gift can have it, can have this gift. Now, let me say this. And this is a little bit of a review. Different people are from different backgrounds. Different people in this church were raised in different traditions, right? People are from different backgrounds. And uh, speaking in tongues just weirds some people out. It just weirds them out. Um, some people have been taught. They've been taught that uh, it's not for today or, or even worse. They've been taught that it's wrong, right? They've been taught that it's wrong. I've dealt with people who had that kind of teaching and it, it, it went deep inside of them, years. And they saw the blessing of God's spirit moving. They saw the blessing and they said, I want that. I want that. But when it came to receiving, they wrestled a little bit. All right? Don't interpret personal wrestlings with God not wanting you to have something, right? Don't interpret that that way. Um, easiest people that I've ever prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit are children and Catholics. Why? Because children and Catholics both believe in miracles. Right? I mean, you... 
The children, man, they believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. And you say, well, that's silly. Does that mean? No. What I'm saying is they've got a posture of innocence and openness. And they just flow. Right? I mean, Catholics, I was raised in that tradition. Catholics can believe all sorts of crazy stuff, man. They can believe that statues of Mary cry oil and they can believe, and you say, well, that's, that's crazy. That's okay, maybe. But again, their posture, they believe that they serve a miracle working God. So it was like when I was at Notre Dame praying for people, it was like falling off a log. They just got it. They just got it, right? Um, I believe God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on this church and through this church, right? Um, But we've got to be aware and we've got to be knowledgeable in the scriptures as well as the power of God. Knowledgeable in the scriptures as well as the power of God. There's something about knowing the scriptures and understanding them so that we can actually yield and submit. As I've shared, I, I, had, I had my parent, my, my, my dad and my sister prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I was ignorant of the scriptures, and I was ignorant of the true nature of the gift, and consequently, it didn't manifest for a couple of months because I had an out. I thought, well, if it's your will, God, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you to bless you to bless you. This gift is for you if you desire it, to draw near to the Lord. I want to invite the musicians to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want us to pray. I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. If you are here today, and I want us all to begin to pray right now. Just begin to pray where you are. Begin to pray where you are. Begin to pray where you are. Just begin to pray. If you can pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Paul's problem with people praying in church, praying in tongues in churches, there was no explanation. But we've set the context, there's an explanation. I want to encourage you. If you can pray in the Spirit, I want you to pray in the Spirit. If you're here and you want to receive prayer to receive this blessing, I want to encourage you. If you're comfortable where you are, that's fine. I I was alone when I received it. But if you want me to pray for you, I want to make myself available to you because that's the way it, it happened in the early church. With the laying on of hands, there was a blessing. And I want to make myself available to you. Just as we're praying, if that's you, I want, I want to encourage you to make your way to the front. Otherwise, I just want you to pray in the Spirit right now. Just pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You know what I believe God wants to do in this church? God wants to raise the spiritual temperature in this house. Because the more there's a spiritual outpouring and a manifestation, the more people are going to receive. The more people are going to get it. Hallelujah. 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 I want to tell you something right now from the Lord that's, that's burning on my heart. Saints, we live in a different world than it was 40 years ago we live in a different world than it was 20 years ago it's a different planet folks it's a different planet we live in a planet of terrorism and mass shootings we live in a we live in a planet of rampant immorality and drug use and psychosis from legalized drugs forget about the illegal ones I'm talking ones that are that are on the books. Those, this is the world that the young people, our children are growing up in. Is it any wonder they sing different songs? Songs that are desperate toward Jesus, hungry for Jesus in ways that we didn't, we, did, we can't fathom. 
because they're dealing with a world that's coming apart at the seams. I'm going to tell you, we cannot argue people into the kingdom of God. We cannot reason them into the kingdom. If we want to have an impact on this society, we got to have powerful church. If God makes us pretty, glory to God. But it's more important to be powerful than to be pretty. God, in Jesus' name, Father, right now we ask you, we ask you, Lord, to empower your people, to pour out your glory, Father. Last week we talked about the message of the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify God, that the, the first disciples on the day of Pentecost, they were glorifying, they were magnifying God. Cornelius was magnifying God when he received this gift. God, we want to be magnifiers of God. But Father, we also want to be people that as we magnify you, we are built up in the Holy Spirit. Right now where you are, right where you are, seated. The disciples were seated on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit come upon them. I want to, I want to challenge you where you are. I want to challenge you to stir up this gift inside of you. Stir up. That's what Paul told Timothy. Stir up the gift of God that is within you. Break off habits of complacency. And I want to challenge you to begin to speak in tongues more. Begin to call on God. Begin to worship the Lord with your prayer language. When you're coming and you're going, you're dropping off the kids at school, you're making dinner, you're getting dressed, you're on the job. You're driving town. You're going shopping. Whatever you're doing, you're praying in the Spirit. You're just calling on the Spirit. You're praying in the Spirit. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit of God. We invite you right now, God, to have your way. God, let us experience your holy anointing. Let us experience the move of your Holy Spirit. God, we want you, Lord. We call on you. We desire you. We invite you, Lord God. Let there be an outpouring. God, people who've already received, years they've had it, baptize us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit, with boldness. God, we're never going to have the guts. We're gonna have the, never going to have the boldness to share the gospel with other people if your Holy Spirit isn't flowing through us. God, fill us. Fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us. I want you to stand right where you are. Holy God, holy God, holy God, holy God. Let's sing this song unto the Lord.